And what I believe that God would have us to understand, all of us together this morning, as we gather around Christ, our head, and as we gather around him as our body, <clears throat> I want to speak, and I, and it was leading up to, to the two heads that we have. You know, we have a head that's either in Adam or our head, our true head, in Christ. But I want to show in the very beginning, uh, I, I want to show as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, about how God had created man in his image in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We see it again in Genesis 5, 1 and 2. And we can also see, and we'll, we'll see this morning, how, how God uh, took Eve out of Adam and, and truly what, the, what those things mean uh, to us in terms of functioning under either one of these heads. But, and I wrote this down too because it was so, it was so important to me. And I'll just read to you what I wrote down. The obligation of marriage cannot be held too highly as it was instituted in the garden in paradise and confirmed by the Lord himself. Its sanctity, in other words, its sanctity, its holiness, is the providential bond of all moral order. All moral order in the world. You and I must be wholly given up to the Lord's will and work, without which any snare <coughs> to the believer, it can ensnare us. And it will be all well, and it is only well in God's order. So God established the very, and we'll see it this morning, the very image, the very place, and the institution of his order all the way back in Genesis. Some have said that all the truth, all doctrinal truth, has its seed plot in the book of Genesis. Of course, it wasn't brought out in the fullness uh, of course, and it was in, in certain types in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and in the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even partially and, and beautifully in John, but also in the Pauline epistles too, the way that that was brought out. But we look at, when we look at marriage in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 32, we see what a great mystery it was. Not that it was mysterious or strange, but in the sense of it's revelation, the revelation and manifestation of it. But when we speak about marriage, even with us as the husbands and wives, what are we speaking of? You know, we're speaking of Christ and his church. We're speaking of Christ as his body, as his bride, the church, is a great mystery. So Christ has, Christ is this head, he has a body, but as we'll see, Eve was taken out of Adam. So now we know by the time we, we go into, you go, you go into God's creation, his creative order in, in Genesis, the first chapter. But by the time you get to 26 and 27, we see that man, man was created in the image of God, in the image of God, he, Christ in his pre-incarnate state, created man. 
what this is revealing to us in such a beautiful way this morning is our place, man's place. We can see it in the garden. So God created man and created him in a specific place. And he set him or he ordained him and set him over the, all the works of God's hands. You see that in Genesis, the first chapter. Now, once God established his creative order, <clears throat> once he did that and everything was set in God's order, you see that in Genesis 1 verse 31, he said everything that he set in his order, he, he declared to be what? Good. Good. Perfect, complete, good. So that now that everything in the, in the garden that God had set in a specific order, of his creative acts, one, notice this, one was needed to take the headship. Okay? And that's when God said this. He said it, and, and we said it in, it's in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He said, let us, let us make man in our image. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're created in his image. That's why the prayer that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul, he said this, and this is how God views each of us individually. But he views us in marriage as one in this place of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. It says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. And then we see in 524 of Thessalonians, faithful is he who calls you, who called you, who will also do it. So we're created in the image of God. Three separate distinct individuals in the Godhead, but one in essence. We are three, spirit, soul, and body, but created in him. But be created as one, but three distinct parts, but one in essence. We're created in his image. And just like like, uh, like when we talk about light, light, there's three properties, actinic, luminiferous, and calorific. One can be seen, neither seen nor felt. The other can be seen and felt. So the first one's God the Father. He can neither be seen nor felt. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And then the second, in luminiferous, can be seen and felt. That's Jesus Christ. But then there's God, the Holy Spirit. He can be seen but not felt. But yet they're one in essence. We were created in the image of God, in his very image. So God said, let us... Make man in our image. And then it, then it says, after our likeness. We can be like him in, in terms of the parts that we are being created by him. But it's only like him because we, we reflect who God is. <laughs> and only God can be God. That's why when we say love is not God, God is love. And that's why we're called children of light, but never called children of love. Because God is love and we're loved by him. And that love comes out in the form of light. And that light was Christ in John 8, 12 and scores of other scriptures. But again, he created man. He said, Let's, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Notice that? They are to have dominion over all his creation, 
over the fish, the fowl, the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing, every crawling thing that crawls upon the earth. So God created man, and notice this, in his own image. In the image of God, he created He created him. Notice where it says him there? He created him. But notice what it says. Male and female created he them. Them. Notice that. He created him, but it was them. It was Eve and Adam. Long before, first before he created Adam out of the dust of the ground in Genesis 2, verse 7, and before he took Eve out of Adam. He said, let them, notice that, them in him, the wife, in the husband, the man and the woman, will have dominion over all that God created. And as a result, God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and what? And subdue it. Keep it in control. Subdue it. And have dominion over all my creation. He said, now notice what he said, over everything on the earth. Uh, if we had the time to go into this the way that, oh boy, I, I'm just going to have to trust God for this because it's so huge and it's, and it's, uh, and it's value and, and, and the estimate that God's thought is in this particular portion. But notice, God wants us to see a change this morning when we read those scriptures. Notice the change from him to them, from him to them. And of course, right here, we we see, we don't see the actual formation (coughs) of the woman being taken out of him until the second chapter of Genesis. But nevertheless, we find God blessing, listen, them, blessing them, and giving them jointly, listen, the place of universal government. Now, we can see, and we, we'll get into the types, but we see Adam lost that, didn't he, through the fall. Now, who's the one man who bring it back? And that's Jesus Christ, the second Adam. So by the time you get to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and you start in verse 45 and go to 49, you're going to see the two heads, the two Adams. First Adam, all die. Second Adam, Christ, all live, all have life. But he said he gave them joint, jointly the place, notice that, the place of universal government. So all the inferior orders of creation were set under their, listen, joint dominion. Right? Because the husband and wife are what? One. Because that was Jesus Christ's priestly prayer in John 17, 11, 20, and 21, that they may be one as we are one. Now, what he's saying there in that instance is the church. We are Christ's Eve taken out of him. And his prayer is that they may be one. And that's his, his desire for us in marriage, to be one. So, Eve, being taken out of Adam, received all her blessing in him. And I want to say this, and boy, this was really beautifully convicting to me. 
again this morning. She not only received all her blessings from Adam, being taken out of him, but listen, in him, she got all her dignity. Boy, the, the, the value, the height, the preciousness that God puts on marriage is brought out with us being married to him. You'll see that in Revelations 19, 7 through 9, and all the way to 12. We are the lamb who is Christ. We are the lamb's bride taken out of him. And I'm just going to pause for a second because I looked up when I saw that word dignity and what it means. I looked up this word honor. This is the honor, the value, the price that God puts on marriage. And when I understand Christ and his bride and how we are a manifestation of that as husband and wife in marriage, how incredible it was. Look at, and I looked up this word. You can look it up too in your 1828 dictionary because that's what I did, but I'll read it to you. This is honor. This is what dignity means. It means honor. Listen, it is the esteem due or paid to worth. It is high estimation. It is a testimony or a witness of esteem. Any ex, it's any expression of respect or high estimation by words of action. Dignity. This is what dignity is. Dignity speaks of exalted rank, place, and distinction. Oh, boy. These words. <clears throat> it speaks of reverence veneration, or any act by which reverence and submission are expressed as worship, listen, paid to the supreme being, God himself. This is manifested in marriage. True nobleness of mind. It is a true nobleness of mind. Listen to what it means. So when I function in marriage... In Christ, in proper headship, in 1 Corinthians 11, 3, the true nobleness of mine will always speak of the scorn of meanness. Notice that? We love, when we function in Christ, we scorn all meanness at all. Every bit of it. Springing, because meanness will spring from the fear of reproach. Think about that in relationship to each other in marriage. Without regard to principle, and enters into a violation of trust. That's what we function in when we don't function in marriage properly. We function under a wrong head because we're functioning as as heads not submitted to our head, Christ. That's right. Now, watch what it says. It is that, this is honor and dignity, that which confers dignity, listen to this, and privileges of rank or birth. Now, this birth goes into our new birth in Christ in John 3, 3 through 8. Now, look. 
Look at what it means. That which adorns, that which puts on an ornament or a decoration. That's what the husband does to the wife. To treat with deference and submission. What does that mean? Well, I can always, in this, not outside of order, but submit to my wife in love, no matter what, when Christ is my head and I'm submitted to him. That's right. That's exactly what it means. So again, to treat with deference and submission. It is to manifest the highest veneration for in words and action. Now that's what 1 John 3 verse 18 is saying. Love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It means to entertain the most exalted thoughts It means to entertain the most exalted thoughts of each other and to absolutely adore each other in the life that we have and in the love that Christ loves us with. That's what it means. It means to dignify. It means to raise to distinction or notice. You know, that's what Christ did when he came. He elevated womanhood back to the place which was lost. I mean, back then, they were just like possession. They were just like ownership. To think that a husband thinks that in any way he possesses his wife in terms of property or ownership. To even think that way, it's just very mean. It's It's very mean. It's not scorning. It's not scorning meanness that springs from the fear of reproach. I mean, should the wife fear anything about the husband? No. Should she? What is it that couldn't be, and that, listen, what is it that couldn't be dealt with that's already been dealt with in the love that Christ is as our life in a proper headship? Okay. It means, to exa- it means to elevate in rank or station. It means to exalt. It means to glorify. It means to render, listen to this word, illustrious. You know what that means? It, by the action of your love for your wife, you're making it well known to everybody. That's, right. That's what illustrious means. It's very well known, very dignified, very well known. Listen, she will be the manifestation of the love that the husband gives to her. <laughs> right. That's right. You want her to love you? Oh, okay. Well, get under your head, experience his love for you, and love her. Yeah. That's how it works. Lovingly convicted on this. Listen. To exalt, to glorify, to render illustrious, to accept and pay when due. You know, we we what do we owe? What did what do we owe Christ is his bride? To 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 in our obedience to love him back, to pay it back. So what do we owe? Anybody else, especially in our relationships. That's Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. Oh, no man, nothing but love. Oh, no, especially in marriage. 
Now, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew, <clears throat> here's the Hebrew word, kabod, K-O-B-O-D. And this goes into a bunch of different words of Hebrew, but I won't get into them right now. And I have them written down, and I wrote them out and studied them <clears throat> this morning, but I won't go into all of them. But this is what that word kabod means. It means to be heavy in terms of being numerous, rich, and honorable. That word literally means weight. And, and, and only, but only in a good sense, it speaks of splendor or copiousness. That means you can't love your wife and pour on her how valuable and honorable and exalted she is. You can't, you can't even, you can't even do that. Amen. God. God. It speaks of honor and glory. It speaks of great quantity. Now, when it says honor and glory, I, I went, oh, my God. And God said immediately to me, and I'll, I'll do just what I did. He said, I want you to turn immediately to 1 Corinthians 11, 15. I want you to look at this. And this is what it means. Why a woman, why, why a woman is so fussy with her hair, and it's a big deal. Yeah. I'm going to tell you why. This is why. In, in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman have long hair, listen, and it, it breaks my heart because of conviction in my, in my marriage towards my wife. It is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering or a veil of protection in glory. That's what it speaks of. Even in that sense. Okay, but it speaks of great quantity. It speaks of multitude, wealth, and a reputation that's held in majesty. And when applied to God, of course, the word represents a quality corresponding to him and by which he is recognized. Did you hear that one? That goes into marriage and headship. That is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. When you want to talk about how a woman is really adorned, and yes, they, they, they bring out their beauty with, you know, and they do with makeup and getting their hair nice and, and jewelry, that's fine. But the adornment that it's talking about in 1 Peter 3 is the love of the husband that he, right. that he adorns her with. That's right. Because no man ever hated his own flesh, his wife, by the way. And you read that in, in Ephesians 5, 25 to 31. You just read those verses and how incredible they are. Then when we get into the Greek, the Greek word, and there's a bunch of different Greek words, and I won't go into all of them uh, this morning. And again, by the grace of God, I did write them down and, and let God get his sense into my head by doing it, is the Greek word uh, timey, T-I-M-E. It's a long E, timey. And listen, it's from, from the prefix of a Greek word called tino, T-I-N-O. Listen, it is, and that word tino is strengthened 
for a primary. And that means it's ver- first and foremost primary, and it means to pay a price. That's what it means, to pay a price. Okay. This is what that word means in the Greek. It means value. Esteem of the highest degree. It is the dignity itself. Primarily, it is a valuing. Listen, and because of that, it speaks of it's something that is objective. Meaning, if Christ is ahead, me, if Christ is not my head, if he's not my object, okay, then what do I have to give to my wife? That's right. My flesh. That's right. Demands. Legalism. Yep. Using and abusing. Yep. Terrible. And what is the flesh in any of us? It's evil. evil. Now, look. That word honor, timey, is used 35 times in the Greek New Testament. It's used once for the word precious and used eight times for the word price and it's used one time for some. Just think of the sum, the price, and the preciousness of the honor that God has given to us as heads. If I value him, I will value his creation. That means his wife. And I want to say this. He created Adam out of the dust of the ground in Genesis 2.7. I want to tell you something. He took the woman out of Adam and he built a woman. (laughs) What What a special place. Amen. What a beautiful place. I don't know. What does Christ think about his church? What stopped him short of anything pertaining to her? So the honor, it's so again here, it speaks of the preciousness of Christ unto believers in 1 Peter 2.7. If Christ is precious to me, will not I be and will not my wife be and will we not all be one in him? You're talking about the church in Ephesians 4, 4 4-6, 1. You want to talk about Christ's high priestly prayer? Listen, the most intimate shared prayer between his father and his son was that us, as his church, would be one with him as he is one with his father. In John 17, in those 26 verses, read them. They're incredible. It is the honor and inestimable value of Christ, listen, as appropriated by believers who are joined as living stones to him who's the cornerstone. It is because if not, if we don't function as heads under our proper head Christ, how do we function? We function in valuelessness against, and it is from the the indulgence of the flesh. That's right. And... Uh, There is absolutely no value in the flesh, but only a legalistic attempt at asceticism. And God said, when when I looked at that in the Greek, he said asceticism, and he said, write this down, and I did. He said, what is asceticism? Well, it's, it's, it's the control and taming of the flesh by the flesh under Satan. And I'm going to do that in marriage? As a Christian? As a head? 
God. No. It also goes into this, and we're going to wrap it up soon here. It also goes into the Greek word tamao, T-I-M-A-O, long O. It means to prize. Listen to this. It means to prize. It means to fix, and I, to fix. And God said, put it in parentheses, write it. And I did. He said, attach. Attach. To attach a valuation upon. There is value, to attach value. Now, that goes into Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is the word batak. It means God has to break attachments in us. We're attached to our lying worthless head, Adam, the flesh, and replace it with trust in Christ, who's our proper head. That's right. See that? And I see it with you. By implication, it means to revere or experience an awe and a reverence. It's to experience an honor. This word, tamao, in the Greek is 19 times honor. Two times it means value. Here's another part of that Greek word, time. It is the Greek word temios, T-I-M-I-O-S. Listen, that speaks of, that Greek word, listen, it speaks of the comparative. What can you compare Christ to? What can you compare his worth, his value, and his honor to? It's incomparable. That's what that word Timaeus is talking about. That's you and I, his heads, functioning under our head, Christ. When we value him this way, there's no comparing to him. And then you can't compare the bride that he's given us. Yeah. No one compares to her. Nope. Personally, individually, by the way. Yeah. Then it goes into this. This is Timioteros, T-I. M-I-O-T-E-R-O-S. Listen to what that word means. It's the superlative. (laughs) No one can compare with who we are as the bride in Christ. Nobody because of him, because of the honor and value he's placed on us. How about us as heads? It's the superlative. You You just can't do any better. And husbands, you don't have to look anywhere else. That's right. By the way, you know, and by the worst thing we can do is hide from them like little boys. And tell me that's not convicting to me because it was and it is. But thank God for that. Okay. All right, let's wrap this up. Here is this this last word that comes out of that Greek word, time. It's it's timiotatos. T-I-M-I-O-T-A-T-O-S. This is, again, from that Greek word, time on. Listen to what it speaks of. It speaks of, a, it speaks of valuable, a value. It speaks of costly. Costly. Now, can I have, can there be any proper value when Christ is not my object? When I'm not functioning in objectivity, I'm functioning in the selfishness of subjectivity. That's right. I become my own object, and I want the wife to submit. Yeah. Fooey. Yeah. And that's a Greek word, too, by the way. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's not really. Okay. Fooey. 
costly, honorable, esteemed. Listen, figuratively, it means beloved. You know what that means? When I, as a husband, function in proper headship, in my place, in the beloved of his son, in Ephesians 1, 6, I am already accepted, and I don't accept my wife. I treat her after the flesh. I don't know, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, no, no man. Remember when it says man, it was them. Right? To know no man after the flesh or woman, woman in man. Oh my God, you know what that's saying? Because if I as a husband know my wife in the flesh, it's because I know myself that way and I treat her that way. That's right. That's right. Fully. Yeah. Fully, ooey, ooey, ooey. That's another great one. Yeah, fully, ooey, absolutely. Listen, we are beloved. And in Christ there's honor. There's price, there's cost, and it speaks of accounted as of great price, precious and costly. That's what Christ is to us. Should that be what our wife is to us? Yes, absolutely. Praise God. This goes into, look at it, goes into so much more. Even in even in the metaphorical sense, and you know, and I'm like, wow, metaphorical. Well, that means we use something in, in a type that's a, that helps us to associate the, the true object, something that is like that. It's not truly that, but it makes us think of that's what he is. That's metaphorical. And it means this, to be held in honor. It means to be esteemed, to be very dear. And that's, what, that's why in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable. Notice yes. that. It's honorable. That's why Paul said, and for us as heads, for us as heads, you know what? Honestly, in one sense, you know what our wives are supposed to be? They're supposed to be like our little church. Yep. Yep. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did I, and when I say, did you know, I'm including myself, by the way. Did I know that? <coughs> Paul said in Acts 20, 24, he said, you know, you know what I count my life apart from Christ in any relationship? Negatively, it's the estimate of my life apart from Christ and his service. That's what he said. The Holy Spirit told him, write it down. Right? Because in James 5, 7, it's precious that speaks of fruit. It is precious of the blood of Christ and how costly and what it cost him in 1 Peter 1 and verse 19. It's in 2 Peter 1, 4. It is precious of God's promises and all of them in Christ in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 are yea and amen. Right? He, God, blessed them. He blessed them jointly. The place of universal government, it is joint dominion. In proper order, but joint dominion. Joint. So thus, because of this, remember what we said, Adam, Eve received all her blessings in Adam. Yeah, like like. Adam, like the husband, can be a blessing apart from Christ to his wife. 
Yeah, he'll bless her, all right, with all demands and everything about him. <laughs> we used to hear this, knock it off. <laughs> Fooey. And some might just gave a definition, fooey-yooey. <laughs> Listen, she also got all her dignity from him. Yeah? Even when she wasn't even called yet into existence. Husbands, did you hear that? When they don't even function in their place. That's right. <coughs> A husband helps her find her place her proper place and her dignity and all her value, just like we with Christ, right? Though yet not called into existence, she was, listen to this, in the purpose of God, looked at as part of the man. Well, look, how you and I treat our wives is how we treat ourselves and how we think less of Christ in the flesh or in him as a proper head. That's why, did you even notice why it says this? It says it in Psalm 139, verse 16. Of course, this goes into abortion, but it goes into much more. In your book were all my members written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. You think that might talk about growth? As husbands, your wife has to grow. When in continuance, not, she's not functioning just properly yet in that love that you love her with, so should you stop it? Well, if you did, you stopped your head in Christ. When yet, as there was none of them. Now, so this is the way it is with the church, the bride of the second man. She was viewed from all eternity in Christ, her head, and her Lord. And her Lord. And that's what we read even in the first chapter of Ephesians. And we see that in Ephesians 1. Uh, we see that 1 through 3. And when you see Ephesians 1, 1 through 3, that's what's the equal of the fourth verse there. And I'll read it. According as he has chosen us in him. All right, husbands, listen, he chose you in him, and he chose your wife in him. Yes, individually in terms of salvation, but as one, he chose her in you as one. Of course, in a unique way that we only can be in Christ individually, but in the expression and manifestation of his very image, in male and female, that's what he created us as. So according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So he chose us in him and gave all this to us when we didn't know him, when we couldn't even receive or give it back to him. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame, spot or blemish, before him in love. When we look at our wives, do we see spots, blemishes, failures? How do we see them? You don't see them lining up the way they should. Again, when it comes to that stuff, fooey, yui. If that's yui, functioning in fooey. <laughs> yeah, don't he? <laughs> okay, before a single member of the church had yet breathed the breath of life, all were in God's eternal mind, listen, predestinated, pre-planned, foreordained to be conformed to the image of his son. He did all of that for us. 
You know what happens when he's not our expectation in Psalm 62, verse 5? You know what happens when we don't function in love that's patient? We, our expectation is not God. We make the person become the expectation in the flesh. My soul, husbands, husbands, my soul wait you upon the Lord. Be gentle, be humble, be patient. For our expectation comes from him. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> we're going to wrap it up here soon, but I just feel like we're scratching even a little bit here. But thank God. I thank God for it with you. So we were predest <coughs> predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. You see that in Romans 8, verse 29. Now, the counsels of God render the church necessary to complete that mysterious or that mystic man in Christ. So the church is called the fullness, the pleroma, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Think about that. What's our eternal destiny going to be like in eternity? That's what we are as the church. We are the fullest, most intimate expression of him for all eternity out of all people groups. There are many that will be in heaven, multitudes, millions and millions, multitudes that will be in heaven. But us as the church will not only be in heaven, but we will, we will hold that highest place in all of humanity. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the epistle goes into that. The pleroma of him, the fullness of him that fills all in all. That's an amazing title. That's the title that you and I have because of Christ. In us, through us, and listen, over us as head. It's an amazing title. And listen, that title, when we understand it in its true meaning and identity, develops much of the dignity and importance and in glory of the church. That means the same thing for husbands towards their wife. Right? You know what? Because we, we, we've been taught sometimes to have too common a view of redemption is only just upon the blessedness and security of, it, of individual souls. We just make it that when it's far more than that. When it's far more than that. Okay? And that's too low a view when we think about salvation. It's a much lower view than that. Because all of that pertains, all of our salvation pertains in any way to the individual in the fullest manner is secured is what? It's blessed of God in an order. Blessed of God in an order. Nothing like marriage brings that out. Why do you think it's so attacked? Why do you think certain policies want to abort a child and a woman at eight and nine months, almost full pregnancy? Transgender. <laughs> no, no, dis no difference between male and female. Why? Do away with the image of God. That's right. Do away with it. Is it a political issue? No. no. It's a spiritual issue. It is evil against the good, the good that God's image is in himself. And to do away with the expression of it on earth. Listen, we're going to wrap it up. But this, is the, but this is true. It is true for the individual salvation of the soul. But listen, that literally, 
In one sense, that is the least part of redemption. Did you know that? It's just as important, but in terms of the whole realm of redemption, no, it's Christ's glory is involved in and connected with the church's existence. That has to do with redemption. That has to do with it. And it's a truth of far more dignity, depth, and power than gen- and, and the individual soul is important, salvation. But it's far deeper than that. Listen, this goes into the expression of marriage and the identity of individuals. Okay? Now, you can be single st- still, as a man or a woman, and still be married to Christ and still function in that sense. But when it comes to marriage... What is the church made up of? Marriages. Mom, dad, children. Right? If I am, and we are, all of us, entitled on the authority of Holy Scripture to regard ourselves, each of us, as a constituent part of that which is actually needful to Christ. Think about that. (laughs) It was needful for Christ to have a church, a bride, in the counsels of God, and to be expressed on earth through born-again Christians in marriage, in headship under Christ. It's very, it's very important. It has to do with redemption, functioning properly in it. And so I can no longer entertain a doubt as to whether there is the fullest provision for all my personal necessities. And boy, oh boy, are they important. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, are they important. So then, if that's true then, is not the church needful to Christ? Oh my God. I don't know. I say absolutely according to the scriptures, because there wouldn't be one if it wasn't. There would not be such a church if it wasn't needful. And there wouldn't be such a thing as marriage, husbands and wives, if that wasn't to be manifested in reality in a proper image. And when a husband ceases to function under his head, he ceases to function under the reality of a proper image and identity. That's right. And in doing so, he lowers Christ in his own estimation, thereby lowering himself and lowering his wife. That's right. Oh, boy. Listen, we have that. So that's why, that's why God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. He said that in Genesis 2.18. He said, I will make him a help me for him. You know what it says in the Hebrew? I will build him ooh, a woman. <laughs> Whew. Yes, sir. Yes, sirini. And that's another Greek word. Yes, Irene. Look, we're going to close it with this in 1 Corinthians 8, 11 and 12. Listen. And again, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 through 12. It is, it is not good for a man to be alone. So, for the man is not of the woman. The man in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 through 12, the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Listen, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. Neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God. 
And that goes right into his order and place and image brought out here. And boy, we haven't even finished this thing about Adam yet, Adam and Eve. And we will, if God deigns it to be so, in uh, maybe on Friday. But then we're going to go into the two heads. We see the two lines of creation and what it goes into. And boy, it helps us to understand, listen, two very important things. Foundational, positional, truth in Christ, in our own individuality. And it also goes into prophecy. And God's going to bring it out to us. Guess what? Um, In the way that only he can. And amen, and amen to that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.